I want to I want to kind of kick off a series today. Um, we're going to start a series on growth. You guys excited about that? Hearing about growth? Growth is our third core value here. If you've been coming for a while, you're coming to DNA tomorrow, you'll hear this. Our first core value is the presence of God. We're a presence people, amen. Our second core value is family. Family is the framework for everything we do. And then our third core value is growth. We want to grow. Look at your neighbor and say, I want to grow. I want to grow. Yeah. Do you mean it? How many of you guys know that God does not intend on leaving you the same? Let me ask again. How many of you guys know that God does not intend on leaving you the same? That he transforms you from glory to glory to glory to glory. Like, it doesn't matter how young or old you are. Like, God has a plan for your life, and he wants to transform you even the more into his image to make you a greater lover of God and people. You guys excited about that? So, I was tempted to read the entire chapter of John 17. To, to kick off this message, but it's like, it's going to take a little while. Okay. All right. Twist my arm. Hey, so uh, can you, can you open your Bible to John 17? I know it's not, it's, a, it's not normal to like read an entire chapter and, and you know, I don't want to read so long that Kelly's arms fall off back here, but um, are you okay with it? Yeah. Okay. So, John 17 is not, listen, this is not a mess. This is not a, a, a scripture passage that you would kick off a series on growth with. Okay? But we will. <laughs> but we will. And uh, so, we're just going to read the whole chapter. Is it cool? Uh, I got the ESV. You guys got that? Okay, so you can read in yours, whatever it is. It's all good. Um, so John 17, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, now the rest of this chapter in my Bible is all red letters. Okay, so this is a lot of Jesus talking, but he's not just talking, he's praying. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I know that's a mouthful, but listen, guys, Jesus is praying for himself. You know, how many times when you go into prayer that you pray for yourself, right? Probably 10 out of 10, right? And that's like, that, that's what's happening here. Like, this is the moment Jesus is having a personal prayer meeting before he's arrested. And he kicks off his prayer. Can you imagine the state that he's in right now as he sort of, he walks away from the three, goes a little further. He falls down on his knees, opens his hands, begins to sweat drops of blood, and he begins to open his heart and pour it out to the Father. And for five verses of Scripture in our Bible, he prays for himself. But here's the thing. Now he segues, and for the rest of the prayer, he intercedes. He doesn't spend most of his time 
right before he's arrested praying for himself, he spends most of his time praying for his disciples. Is that beautiful or what? And he says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you've given me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Now, guys, I want you to recognize something. Jesus right now is praying for the 12. You might say the 11, right? Because Judas has already left them and sold them out, right? And so Jesus is simply praying for 12 men, 11 men. All mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of this world just as I am not of this world. And I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is the truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Jesus praying for his disciples. There's a smaller segue here in verse 20 where Jesus begins to pray, if you will look at it through this lens for the growth of his church. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Everybody say the church. The body of Christ globally. Jesus, he's sort of a segue here. He's interceding for his disciples. And he says, but they're not going to be the only disciples. But for the last three years, I've spent all of my strength pouring in to these 12 men. One of them has betrayed me. So I have 11 left. By and large, by any modern evangelistic definition, Jesus has been a terrible missionary. Right? He's he's about to be arrested, and he's only got 11 left. Not really what we would call in the church planting world a success, an achiever. All those definitions have fallen by the wayside as he here has blood in his hands. Tears falling from his face. Praying for these 11. And then he says, I'm not just praying for these guys. I'm praying for those who will believe in me through their word. That they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one even as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also 
whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. You know, no matter how many times you read a passage of Scripture, you can always go a layer deeper. You know, that's the beautiful thing about the Scripture. It's like coal mining. Like, I grew up in Kentucky, a coal mining town. And it's just like you just keep going deeper and the resources keep getting richer. I don't even know if that's how coal mining works. But, you know, like, that's how I think it works. And it worked for that illustration. But you know what I'm saying? Like, you just keep going deeper. So here's the title of the message today. Growth for the globe. Growth for the globe. You guys ready to dive into this? Okay, so here, let me just quickly outline this. When you look at John 17 as a whole, like if it's just a big pie, you know, you look at the whole thing, then you'll see that there is a small sliver right there at the beginning, the very first five five verses of Scripture where Jesus is praying for himself. But then the remaining 20 verses of Scripture from verse 6 to verse 26, Jesus is interceding. He's not just praying for himself, he's praying for his disciples. And then in that smaller portion that we highlighted there, which was verse 20 through 23, what Jesus does is he hones in, not just on the 11 that remain, but then he begins to pray for everybody who is going to come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ through the evangelism of these 11 men. So he begins to pray essentially for the growth of the church. He begins to pray a prayer that begins there in the Garden of Gethsemane, but extends into Nashville in 2018. Isn't that awesome that God is still answering Jesus' prayer through you and the people that you're called to reach and preach to and evangelize and become a missionary to? Are you guys excited about this too? Yeah? That this is what Jesus prayed. He said that through these guys, through these 11, I'm praying for them, that what would happen here is that they would grow to become these amazing evangelists. They would grow to become these amazing missionaries. They would grow to become these awesome godly people. And that as a result of their growth as disciples, there would be growth for the kingdom. See, this is the thing about the church. We talk a lot about being world changers. Right? I mean, if you come here, you hear that often, right? God doesn't raise up anointed bench warmers. Like, everybody's called to get in the game for God. Can I get two good amens, right? But here's the thing about the church, right? The church proclaims a changed world as a result of changed men and women. Let, let me say it again. The church proclaims a changed world as a result of changed men and women. We are transformed to transform the world. How many of you guys know that the old man cannot bring about a new society? You guys with me? So we need to be transformed. We need to grow. We need to look more like Jesus. We need to love more like Jesus. And as a result of our growth, as a result of the growth 
that God gives to us, then we can bring about growth in the kingdom. We can see transformation in society. We can see a new world built. We can see missions happen. We can become a disciple that makes disciples. You guys know that we're all called, every single one of us are called to not only be a disciple of Jesus, but to make disciples of Jesus. That there's no exemption, there's no Christian that is exempt from the Great Commission. Am I just blowing y'all up this morning at 9 a.m., right? Just, I came in hot off the plane at 11.30 last night and, you know, like, but how many of you guys know, like, nobody gets to wiggle out of the Great Commission? Like, when you read it, like, I don't know, I have an ESV, but in my Bible, there's a heading. It says, the Great Commission. It does not say the Great Suggestion. Right? It does not say the Great Option when you feel like it. Right? When you're having a good day, when you just heard a good message, when you got really pumped up, you know, it's like we're all called to make a difference with Jesus. We're all called to grow as disciples so that the kingdom of Jesus grows as we make disciples. Now, I know this is sort of foundational, and I know it's fundamental, but it's not elementary. Because all of us as disciples grow in this over time. When you mature as a saint, you don't become more introspective in the sense of, well, you know, I've done my time. I'm mature enough no longer to have to make any disciples. But that your maturity, the byproduct of it is, it, is that your disciples then make disciples. I, I think being a part of the fivefold ministry, if you guys, you know, know that passage of Ephesians 4, I think being a fivefold office minister is the proof of that is not in the disciples you make or the business card you have, but in the disciples that your disciples make. That you're not just a spiritual parent, but that you're a spiritual grandparent. You guys get anything out of this? I know I'm kind of rattling on here, but listen, the, the reason why this is our third core value, guys, growth is our third core value, is because we want to grow in two ways. When I, when I tell people that our mission is to grow the family of God, people are like, well, are you just trying to get, like, butts in seats? You know, like, are you just, you just trying to get numbers? You just trying to get good Instagram photos? You know, because they don't, they, don't, they don't understand what we're talking about right away because so often, like, that's the way that we see growth, just numbers, statistics. But that's not what we're talking about. When we talk about growth, we're talking about growing as disciples first, and then we're talking about growing in disciples next. Right? We grow as disciples as we fulfill Christ's great commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. All of us are called to grow in Christ's great commandment. Amen? 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 But then also, we are also called to grow as we fulfill Christ's great commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That's for all of us. Okay, and so we want to tell you guys that right up front because we have a plan. Yes, that's right. We have an ulterior motive for you coming to church here. We want to see you transformed into a disciple of Jesus that makes disciples of Jesus, that treats the great commandment with severity, that treats the great commission with severity and has a passion for growth, not just as an individual, but a passion for growth for the kingdom. And it's so easy today to get so passionate about our growth that we fool ourselves into believing that that's all this is about. Well, this is about my growth. This is about my time listening 
to podcasts. This is about the books I read, the courses I take, the YouTube videos that I watch. This is about my growth. I got to grow. I got to grow. I got to grow. I got to. And then we say, well, hey, man, what about the Great Commission? Well, I'm not quite ready to do that yet. I'm not quite ready to do that yet. Or we're like, hey, what about love your neighbor as yourself? Well, I don't really love myself that well yet. Listen, you, you don't have to perfect one before you even attempt the other. They're simultaneous, right? Like the way that you grow in love for yourself, this is my belief, is by loving other people. Because once you start to recognize the dignity in other humans, you'll start to grant more grace for yourself. But if you won't serve anybody and you won't acknowledge their weaknesses and you won't help them along on the path of life, then it's sometimes very difficult to grant yourself any grace. Because I got to grow, I got to learn, I got to achieve, I got to get successful. But when you look at Jesus crying out to the Father in the garden, how successful was he by our, you know, postmodern definitions? In many ways, he's seen as a failure, right? He, he's seen as a, what, what are they, what, I see it in people's Twitter bios. Failed missionary. Exvangelical. That's a new term. You guys heard that? That's a new term. See it in people's Twitter, Twitter bios. Failed church planner. That's what they say. Failed church planner. They wear it like a badge. It's kind of like, it's, it's this new thing. I'm, I'm just becoming privy of it. I haven't quite figured it out yet. So I'm not preaching on it or against it or anything like that. I'm just saying, like, if you look at Jesus, they could have easily ascribed that bio to him. Failed missionary. Failed church planter. Failed discipler. He had 11 guys. He poured into them. For three years, he had 12. One of them left them, sold them out. And then in just a few minutes, just a few hours, all of them are going to run away. And the one that is most passionate, Peter, he's going to deny him three times to his face. Like, how would we define Jesus' ministry as a success looking through the lens that we use today? You ever think about that? Do you ever think about the fact that Jesus is the greatest missionary that ever lived but never left his home country? <laughs> you ever think about that? Sometimes you're like, oh, to be a missionary, you have to go, you do this, do this, do this. No, to Jesus, everything was global evangelism. Every single message was global evangelism because here's what he understood. By growing these 12, I'll grow the kingdom all over the earth. Because this was Jesus' strategy, and this is what I want you guys to get, because today we have all kinds of strategies to reach the world for Jesus, don't we? We have all these strategies. Like, uh, you know, we need, we need money for it, and yes, there's, there, there's a need for that, finances, but, you know, if you only had three years to make a difference in the world, how would you spend your time? Probably not in the same way that Jesus spent his time, if you're really thinking about it critically. You would think, man, I've got to raise money. I've got to talk to donors. I've got to get ads out on social media. I've got to somehow get on national television. I've got to get on the radio. I've got to go do crusades. I've got to do big events. I've got to make this thing big, and I've got to blow it up, and I've got to make it happen, and I've got to get the attention of the whole planet. But what we see in the, subvers like the subversive strategy of Jesus is that he goes in a completely opposite direction and instead of trying to grab the attention of the globe he pours himself into 12 are, are you guys getting anything out of this so like he he pours he like intentionally he goes around picking 12 dudes that are just normal dudes no pedigree they're not special 
They don't have some doctorate of ministry. They, they don't know all these different languages. They've never preached a sermon. They're, they're not the qualified. They're not the ones who you would think Jesus should pick. The ones with great potential. The ones that have a, you know, sort of a biblical foundation because they've studied. They're just sort of misaligned. And, you know, it's like Jesus picks the most rando people. You know, because that's, what, I mean, really, if you look at it from that, from that standpoint, and, you know, he's walking around and then he, he finds some fishermen. Those are the people he finds first. He finds some fishermen. Which is very interesting because, you know, these guys would have been what we might call blue-collar workers. Right? Just average tradesmen. But you might also call them entrepreneurs because they had their own businesses. And so Jesus is like, I'm going to call four entrepreneurs. I'm going to call four blue-collar workers. And they're, and they're going to come and they're going to be my disciples. You notice, even though Jesus is doing some ministries, healing some people, he's talking to some groups. For the most part, he's spending most of his time just with this one. Just with this one. Okay, okay, you go get your brothers. You come back. And then there's, there's some time later. I mean, it's, it's months later, right? He, he, he walks by and he's like, hey, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not only going to take Peter, Andrew, I'm not only going to take, let me just read to you all the disciples, right? It's uh, Simon, who he named Peter, Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot. Everybody say the Zealot. This is important. And Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Now, here's what's interesting. I mentioned there were four fishermen, but there's a few others. Look at Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. And so this is somebody who worked for the government. If there was anybody who was likely to be wealthy, it was probably Matthew because Matthew got to receive. He got to hold back. He got to keep some of what he collected on behalf of the government. But as a tax collector, he was despised, not only by religious people, but also by zealots. Because zealots were bent on overthrowing the government as they knew it. And so in order for a zealot and a tax collector to get together and be on the same team, you had to have quite a bit of growth. Right? You had to have quite a bit of maturity. And see, that's one of the things that we try to do here at Legacy. Ain't everybody like you here. There's all kinds of different people from different backgrounds, different ages, praise God. We got, we got so much diversity. That's one of the things I love about how God's building this church. And you, you got different opinions, different perspectives, different views on life. Good. Good. So that way you can grow. Listen, you can't crucify yourself. Right? Like, I need you to offend me so that I can stay dead. <laughs> Listen, I could, tr like, I could try to crucify myself. I could, get, I could get a nail in one hand. I could get a nail in my feet. But I cannot nail myself to the cross. I need you to pick up the hammer. You see, you see what I'm saying? So, like, when we insulate ourselves by just staying a part of communities that only look like us, think like us, talk like us, we stifle our growth. Are you guys getting anything out of this? I just, I can't tell. You guys are a little quiet. I don't know if it's because it's raining or you guys had like a venti PSL before you came in here. 
right? <laughs> right? You guys know what I'm talking about? Is this throwing you for a loop a little bit? 50-50? Okay, some of you are like, yeah, okay, no, okay. Because like, because the way Jesus did it was just so not the way we would do it, right? Then you got Judas, this man's a thief. And then there's a few remaining disciples that we don't have any biblical history on, but a lot of scholars suggest that they were also just basic tradesmen. They were just average, normal, basic tradesmen. That's all they were. And so Jesus spends three years, and he doesn't ramp up quickly. Like, if you really look at the Bible historically, you look at the timeline, you look at the ministry of Jesus, he doesn't ramp up quickly. Like, he only had three years to make an impact on the entire globe. And the way that he did what he did should fascinate us. Because the way we would do it would be so different. we got to do all this big stuff. But Jesus started and then stayed small. And then even, it's not that Jesus was anti-crowds. We see tons of times where Jesus is preaching to crowds, large crowds. We see moments where Jesus multiplies food. I mean, he takes a Long John Silver's kid's meal, and he feeds over 5,000 people. I mean, it's, it's not that Jesus is anti-crowds, right? Or maybe fish tacos from Mas Tacos, because, whoo, man, hallelujah, glory, <laughs> right? They're so good, so good. They're closed on Sundays. Oh. That's why they're so blessed. Sabbath. Right? It's not that Jesus was anti-crowds. He, he, fed the, he fed the multitudes. He talked to the multitudes. But that was not his focus. Think about it. It wasn't his focus. He wasn't focused on crowds. He was focused on the 12. And this was his strategy. This was Jesus' world-changing strategy. To grow 12 people to grow his kingdom. Honestly, and, and I feel indicted by this. You guys know what I'm saying? That's another, I guess that's just a fancy way of saying it. I feel convicted by this. Because so often when I think about advancing the kingdom of Jesus, like I got to preach another message or we got to do another conference or we got to, you know, it's not in a conference that the kingdom grows. It's in a covenant that the kingdom grows. It's where, it's where life on life happens to where I look at you like forehead to forehead and I'm like, I love you. <laughs> you sold me out. <laughs> You know, you ever notice that whenever Judas comes up to like give the guys Jesus, Jesus is like, friend, that even in his betrayal, the way he addressed <laughs> Judas, he'd been pouring into him for three years. Tell me how you stop loving somebody when they offend you after you've invested your whole life into him for three years. You, you can't. Friend. Jesus understood. Jesus knew. Jesus prayed. He had poured his whole life into these people. He poured his whole life into them. And he knew. He knew his time was up. He knew what he had been sent to accomplish, he had accomplished. And it wasn't in starting the world's greatest revival. It was pouring his entire life. It was inviting. It was biblical hospitality like we talked about a few weeks ago. It was inviting these 12 average men 
who started on the fringe, who became intimate with God, who came in close to Jesus, and he broke himself so consistently. He fed them so consistently. He loved them and embraced them and laughed with them and cried with them and shared his life with them so consistently that he knew, despite the fact that I am preparing to ascend to the Father, the globe is in good hands because I have grown these 11 men. Doesn't that change the way we think about evangelism and missions? Like everything was global missions to Jesus. He's sitting there eating a fish breakfast with four. He's doing missions. Because it's all strategic. It's all intentional. I'm going to give you my whole life. I'm going to give you my whole heart. I'm going to give you all my love. I'm going to give you all my training. I'm going to share all my revelation. I'm going to give you opportunities. I'm not going to hold back opportunities. Let me ask you, who's discipling you and who are you discipling? Because you'll never see a moment. You'll never see a moment in the lifestyle of Jesus where those two things are not happening. Where he's not looking to the Father saying, pour into me. I need help. Show me what you want me to do. Disciple me. Grow me. The Bible says that Jesus grew in favor and in stature. Jesus had to grow. Jesus looked to the Father. Do something. Let me watch you. I want to see you. Speak to me. I want to listen. I want to obey you. And you never see a moment in the ministry of Jesus where Jesus is not also pouring himself out to other people. And it's just crazy to me that we've now adopted this understanding of faith that it's all about me and my family rather than God and his family. I'm insulated. It's all about my personal growth. And so if you're not discipling, if you're not pouring out, if you're not sharing, my question is, are you really growing? Well, maybe you're growing in one way. Maybe you're growing in the world's definition, but are you growing in a kingdom definition? Because if you're not sharing, then your growth isn't really Christian. It might be philosophical. It might be societal. It might be personal development, and all those things are necessary and good. Like, I read constantly. I love reading practical stuff, too. You should do that. It's good for you. Like, you know, be like a happy, healthy, good guy. Learn how to develop some life skills and have some self-awareness and be nice to people. But at the same time, sometimes Christians are the weirdest people. You know, it's like, you just, just be nice to people. Like, just, you know, right? right? And it's just like, but who are you pouring out? Who are you sharing your life with? Who are you discipling? Who are you intentionally mentoring? Because when you do that, you do missions. When you do that, you do evangelism. And you do it in such a way that you do it for the next generation. Not for yourself. Because a lot of times our motivation for missions is the testimonies so that we can prove to perfect strangers that we're valuable and worthy of love. But the reality is, is that when we pour into people in a direct sense and we love them with our heart, like completely and honestly and real. Like, then we do it for the next generation, not for momentary applause. Right? Jesus talks about you receiving the true riches. You know what I think the true riches are? I don't think it's money. I think it's people. You know, I think it's people. I think that's the true riches. You can have a whole bunch of money, but it doesn't stop the anxiety at night. You know what I'm saying? It'd be like like Scrooge McDuck. Yeah, yeah, see, remember that cartoon? He'd like 
He's like backstroking his goal. Yeah, no, you can't really do that. After that testimony, you have a basement that's full of gold. Yeah. You got you guys getting what I'm saying here? So I got like no minutes, but I, I at least I just want to say a couple of things, okay, before we close. Can I do five minutes before we do worship? We're just do one song of worship. We're gonna close. And hopefully it's not raining too bad. Wonderful. That's gonna be good. But here's what here's here's what I want to say about the twelve. And this is where I want to kind of start. I just wanted to kind of lay a foundation for the growth series. Hey, my dad, Pastor Jeff, is going to come in and preach. While I'm out, he's going to be fired up. Y'all are definitely going to want it. You know he's going to be fired up. He's going to be lit. Like he is, he's just a fiery person. He's just, he's just, he's just lit. He's just, lit. He's just fired up. Always. I was running with him the other day because I'm doing some marathon training right now. And my dad's, he, my dad's 53. He's about to run a marathon also. And he's having some like hip, hip flexor pain or something. And uh, so literally he can't run. So he gets on his bike and like my whole run, he's like pushing me. Pick it up. Let's go, son. Come on. Let's go. You know, that's just the way my dad lives, man. He's just fired up. He's riding next and he's like, pick it up. Pick up that pace. Do you get that eight minute mile? Pick it up. And I'm like, dad, this is like mile five, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Felt like I was in the video game Punch Out. You know, you know, like in those scenes. Okay, no, okay, anyway, okay. Yeah, yeah Little Mac, that's it. So, hey, look, here, here's the thing I want to say, like, as kind of we're kicking off here, is that, is that um, the thing about the 12, the thing about the 12, right? They weren't experts. They weren't experts. So often we disqualify ourselves because we're like, we're just, I'm just not ready. Neither were they. Hey, look, you're in good company. The authors of Scripture, of the Bible that you read every day, in Jesus' name, it's a prophetic, I'm prophesying. Every day, in Jesus' name, they weren't experts. But here's what they were they were teachable. They were teachable. That's the thing about, that's the thing about these 12. It's like, they were hungry, man. You see how often when you read through this, you, you read through, you read through the, uh, the stories and they're like asking questions, right? They didn't, they didn't presume that they knew everything. Like Jesus called me and I'm now, I'm great, right? They were teachable. They were hungry. Let me share a few points real quick. I got two minutes. What does it mean to be teachable? A teachable person is someone that is willing to be taught. That's from dictionary.com. A teachable person is someone that is willing to be taught. But teachability, guys, is a mindset. It's a posture of learning. It's a person that's eager. It's a person that's hungry. It's a person that says, you know, I need something. And, and can I tell you something about being teachable? Being teachable means that you're willing to learn from unlikely sources. You want to know why I went to Africa? I went to Africa to, to, to feed the poor. You know what I discovered when I got to Africa? That the poor fed me. I went there to change the world. I'm going to change this nation. You know what happened? That nation changed me. 
it took me a little while to break from my understanding of who I was as like the missionary of God. But you know, the thing about the poor is like they know they need something. Right? They know they need something and they stay empty whether they want to or not. Oftentimes we're so quick to insulate ourselves. I'm in pain. Netflix. Right? Oh, I'm in pain. Shots. Oh, I'm in pain. Pills, porn, whatever it is. See, the poor, they don't have that option. They remain hungry. They remain empty, whether they want to or not. And there's something that we can learn from them. You guys know we can learn from our kids who are downstairs. They just showed me a picture of them worshiping. You know, we can learn from them. Like how they approach God. You guys know that, right? Teachable people, man, they're humble. Say, man, I I don't got it all figured out. Teachability and humility, they're like cousins, man. And they hang out all the time. It's like you really don't get one without the other. Last thing I'll say about being teachable is that teachable people listen and ask questions. Proverbs 18 and 2 says, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be awesome if we started listening more than, like, on Facebook rather than just expressing opinions, you know? I said, man, I'm, like, I'm just going to take a different posture. Before I throw out my two cents, why don't I get the gold that Jesus has? <laughs> then I'll have something valuable to share with people. Before you talk to people about God, you need to talk to God about people.